You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have you. Why don't we rise as we'll read God's Word this morning. We're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 all the way to chapter 3, verse 3. It sounds like a long piece of scripture, but it's actually only five verses for this morning. So we're busting into chapter 3 this morning. So let's uh, read this together as a family. It says this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the word of God. You can grab a seat. Thanks be to God. Yeah? All right. I, I rushed you on that one. So good to have everyone here this morning. I, figuring like we're about 10 weeks more in First John. We got about 10 weeks. We've been about eight weeks in, I think, at this point. So we're about halfway through. So I figured let's do a quick recap of kind of where we are at this point. It's, uh, so, it's really important to un- actually understand and see that this is a big picture. Sometimes you get, it's kind of confusing because you're hitting small sections all the way along. And uh, to see the whole picture that John is is preaching to us here in this letter is actually really important. So going back to 1 John chapter 1, uh, we see that John is writing to the church. We see that this message is to the church. We know and understand, he, he understands salvation at this point. The church understands the gift of Jesus Christ, uh, his life, his death, his resurrection. So John is going, hey, remember this, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I'm not going to read the whole book again, but I encourage you to do the same. But this whole story of John that he's writing here to us is that, that, John, that Jesus is the main character. That it's all about Jesus. It always has been about Jesus. And it always will be about Jesus. It is about him. He is the main character. And then we see in chapter, or further on in chapter 1, remember I hit the if-we's, the five if-we's. You can see it there in the text in between 5 and 10. But it's like we, it, Jesus is the light. It talks about it. he is the light, complete holiness, and everything outside of him is actually of the darkness. Anything outside of Christ because of his holiness is of the dark. You can't have any darkness within Jesus. He is perfect light. And it's our sin 
that is in the darkness. Our life apart from Jesus is of the dark. No matter what we claim to have, if we do not have Jesus and walk with him, we are actually in the dark. And then we see in chapter two, the good news, the good news that Jesus is our advocate between us and the father, that he is the propitiation, that he appeased the wrath of God upon himself through his life, death, and resurrection. And we see, and so because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice, we now live for him. We obey his commands and walk as he walked. And we see this in verses chapter, or chapter 2, verse 6. And we are given assurance, in, if you skip down all the way to chapter 2, verse 12 through 14, we're, we're given assurance now of our salvation that our sins are forgiven for Jesus' namesake. Because we know him, because we have overcome the evil one, because we abide in the word of God and it abides in us. Then we talked about the system of the world, right? The system of the world, the things that, w- that this world is made up of, the desires of the eyes and the desires of the flesh and the, the pride of life. And we were called to flee from that because they are passing away. This world is passing away, the system of this world. But we know Jesus and we will abide forever along with him. And John reminded us of the last hour and the false teachers that are coming to tickle the ears. They will be men and women that lead you to worship your kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. And that's really important to understand. They will tickle the ears. They will make you the center point rather than in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. Jesus is the center point. They will make you the center point of the scripture rather than Jesus. And they will do this by proclaiming that they are about Jesus, but their message is clearly about you. You become the center. They will deny Jesus, the Father, and his word in a very deceptive way. But John, again, tells us to hang on, not to this new teaching, but the one that you heard from the beginning. In chapter 2, verse 24, again, it says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And then verse 25 of chapter 2 is, by abiding in what was from the beginning will assure you of eternal life. Abiding in Christ, abiding in the one that we've touched and heard and seen, this is your eternal salvation, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is inviting us into his home through this story, through this this letter, he's inviting us in. He's, he's saying, I am the redeemer. I am the one that you've heard. And to fellowship with me is what you will gain. You will gain glory. No one deserves this. And this is what we need to realize, that no one deserves this invitation. Jesus pays the way and gives us that invitation to invite us into his home, but not just into his home, to say that you are his, his children, that you're now family. And this brings us to our text this morning in chapter, at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. So let me pray one more time and then we'll jump into this text for this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you are telling a story here through John to the church. And help us be reminded of this amazing story, Jesus. Your love, your holiness, your grace, your forgiveness that we are called to walk as you have walked. Help us as the church live this stuff out as you've called us to. And I pray, Jesus, as we walk through this next text, these next five verses, that you will enlighten us, that you will uh, help me see it even more clearly than, than what I see it now. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here as they, they listen and glean and, and that we, as we talk about these things in our community groups, 
uh, through the week, Lord, that we will continue to practice these things that you've called us to. And I pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Well, today I don't have an outline of sorts. What we're going to do in this section is actually go verse by verse all the way through. We've already been doing that. I've just given you some more of an outline. Uh, but I don't really have a complete outline for us, but we're just going verse by verse. So let's take a look at verse 28 again, just the start of it. And if you wanted to call this anything, you can call it responsibility. So in your notes, just so I know there's some that are really diligent in note-taking, so you love headings and all that kind of stuff. So you can make this one responsibility. Take a look at it. It says, and now little children abide in him. Abide in him. So everything I just recap from what John has already given us, we have a responsibility, and that responsibility is ours. It's, it's not something that we can actually pass back to Jesus. We can't pass this responsibility back. He is given to us as children, as we as parents sometimes give responsibility to our children. Now this is their responsibility to fill out, and this is our responsibility. Jesus has done all the hard work. We have now are called to live this out. And in the words it says, and now little children abide in him. So this instruction, this command, this degree of sense is in the imperative mood. It's, it's not try to abide in him. It is do it. This is your call. This is you as a child of mine to abide in Jesus. And so I want to give you a couple more R words here under responsibility, but they're to remain, rest, and rely. Remain, rest, and rely. So let's take it remain here. To remain in Jesus. This is part of our responsibility, kind of sub-points. To remain in Jesus, the one from the beginning. To have fellowship with him. To have joy in him. To abide in him. To abide in his life, death, and resurrection. This is abiding, abiding in what he has accomplished. I'm going to abide, every, I'm going to put everything into him, what he has done for me. This is what it is abide. So I'm going to remain in his work. I'm going to remain in his redemption. I'm going to remain in his holiness. This is what abide is. And so this is our job. Jesus, like I said, has done the hard work of salvation. He's paid the penalty. We didn't have to. He substituted himself for us where we didn't have to. So we get to remain in his work. It's so sweet. This is our responsibility to remain or abide in him. Secondly, we are to rest. It isn't our work that saves us. It is his. So we rest in him. And it's a sweet rest, isn't it? It's a sweet rest that he's done this amazing work of salvation for us to be the redeemer for us that we could not do. There's no way we could be our redeemer. It's actually impossible. And so we get to rest in his work, remain in his work. See, without Jesus, we have absolutely nothing to rely on. But with Jesus, we can rest in him. The last one is our responsibility under that responsibility is rely on Jesus. We again rely on the sufficiency of Jesus and his saving grace, the penal substitutionary atonement. It's a sweet doctrine. The penalty has been paid by Jesus. The, the substitution, he substituted himself for us. And the atonement, he pays, he atones for our sin penalty perfectly from the wrath of God. 
the penal substitutionary atonement, we get to rely on him. And again, without Jesus, we have nothing to rely on. We have nothing to rest in without him, and we have nothing to remain in if it's just us. So instruction to abide is a threefold responsibility to remain, to rest, and to rely on Jesus' work, not ours. And church, this is amazing. This is such good work, and this is such good news. This is the comfort of the gospel. We've done nothing at this point. We just get to abide in him. But abide is an action step. It's an action step that we are called to, to hold on to. So it doesn't mean it will be easy, but the penalty, like I said, is paid. The hard stuff is taken. But our job is now, with all we have, is to love him through obedience. And abiding is conscious and intentional abiding in Jesus. It is a daily thing. And we see this another in the Gospels of John in chapter 15. This word comes up many, many times in chapters 15, verses 4 through 8. It says this, and this is a familiar text to most of us. It says this, abide, I'm just going to exchange the me for Jesus there. Abide in Jesus and I in Jesus. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That's, that's simple, right? Like if a vine is on the, on the tree and, or a branch is attached to the vine, then it's going to live. It's going to produce fruit. It's going to continue on. I, Jesus, am the vine. You are the branches. So whoever abides in Jesus and I, Jesus, in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. In verse 6, it says, If anyone does not abide in Jesus, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in Jesus, and Jesus' words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Action step. Bear much fruit in, in your obedience. So prove to be Jesus' disciples. It's a sweet passage. And it's really what John is saying here in his letter to the church in 1 John. Again, look at the second part of verse 28. It says, so that, again, highlight that so that. It's a really important part. It kind of gives us our purpose in one way. Abiding in Jesus has a purpose here. It's so abiding in Jesus, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. And so think about this. There's kind of two things that, that John is explaining here in this one little verse. One thing is abide in Jesus, and you will remain confident when he returns. Abide in Jesus and you will have confidence in his return. That's one thing. Secondly, if you don't abide in Jesus, you will actually shrink back in shame upon his return. Two options. One option, it's going to go good for you. Second option, it's not going to go good for you. See, again, we abide in Jesus, his finished work, his promises, his word that saves us. This is our obedience. We know the salvation. This is, again, John is talking to the church here. We know how salvation works. Jesus has done all the work. Our confession and our belief in him is what saves us. Are you abiding in that? See, this is why we trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, walk with Jesus. It's all about him. And if you don't abide in Jesus, the only other option 
is you abiding in you. That's really the only other option. It's a kingdom thing. Your kingdom or God's kingdom. See, when Jesus comes in all his glory and you're abiding just in you, of course you're going to shrink back in shame because you're going to realize the holiness of God at that moment. Can you imagine that? Like the holiness of God coming in all his glory, entering into this creation. When I was shoveling my driveway this morning, I was shoveling and I saw these flashes and my mind instantly went here because my, my mind's in this text for this whole week. I'm like, Jesus, you coming back? I had no idea what this flash was, but it was in the sky and I was like, and then I kept shoveling and I was like, well, I guess if it was Jesus, I would, I would know. Like it would be pretty obvious. Clouds would part, return, glory be so great. Wouldn't need coffee anymore, that's for sure. Right? Full redemption. See, when, you, when you're not abiding in him, you will shrink back because you will realize the holiness of who he is, who he truly is. And we need, to, we need to constantly be thinking of this. Like daily. The responsibility of daily thinking about his holiness. Hmm. See, if you don't abide in Jesus, in his work, in his blood, in his resurrection, you'll be shamed when he returns. See, we must see this, this story, and, this, and I'll give you the quick timeline version of this. I, we shared a little bit about this in the parenting class, and I've done this before, but if you can just picture the timeline of the story from one pulpit to the side of the other. Small timeline here, but we have the beginning, right? right? We have creation. And then soon, soon after creation, we have the fall. We have the fall of man and the sin of man. And the beauty is, in God's holiness, he would be perfectly just and righteous to wipe us out, right? Wipe Adam and Eve off the planet. That would be completely perfect and just. So therefore, there needed to be a sacrifice for their sin, for their penalty of sin against a holy, perfect God. So instead of punishing them, he gives and he begins to set up this redemption plan and he initiates redemption from day one. And this redemption plan is to help us see our unholy actions. And he brings in the law to show us, to reveal us, as we see in Romans chapter 5, to reveal more sin. He brings in the law, he brings in the prophets, he brings in kings, judges, all showing that there is no way that you can reach holiness and perfection of God. And finally, he just goes, I'm going to send my son to do this because no one here can match up. And he sends Jesus, his son, to live, born of a virgin, to live, to die, and to rise again. To accomplish the redemption that he initiated. And he accomplishes it at the cross and at the grave as he rises from the dead. And then he gives a mission to the church to go now to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Very similar to the beginning of time, to be fruitful and multiply. Children, be fruitful and multiply. Tell those around you who I am. This is the mission of the church. And then one day, at the end of the time, Jesus is going to wrap this thing up and he's going to come back again, fulfilling redemption completely. 
will be fully redeemed. Six parts to this story. See, John here is proclaiming the end of the timeline of this world, saying in the text here, it says, when he appears. There's so much we can go in these little five little verses. When he appears, see the fulfillment, the fulfilled redemption is Jesus coming for the church. Knowing this timeline is, is your plan, like knowing this timeline, creation, fall, redemption, initiated, redemption accomplished, mission of the church, redemption one day when he appears, one day will be fulfilled. Knowing this plan, are we, are we abiding in him? It's a question we ought to regularly ask. John is asking us as the church this. We need to regularly ask this of one, one another, of ourselves. See, is your plan this week to abide in Jesus in all that you do? In all that you do, whether work, whether at home, with your wife, your kids, your roommate, whoever it is, are you seeking to abide in Jesus in those moments? Are you remaining and resting and relying on Jesus in every part of your day? It's a big question. Whether you're at school, in your home, by yourself, whatever it is, are we abiding in Jesus? Are we fulfilling this call, this decree upon us? this responsibility that Jesus has given us. So that's one verse down, four more to go. We'll be a little quicker here. In verse 29, take a look at it. It says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See, as we study the Bible, you will begin to see that there is a lot to learn if you go verse by verse. Just in this, right at the beginning here, it says, if you know that he is righteous... The he is referring to Jesus, right? Now, there are thick theological chapters on Jesus, who he is, his character, his attributes, his righteousness. And this is incredibly important. Do you know Jesus' righteousness? Do you know Jesus' righteousness? If you know that he is righteous, do you know these things? Do you know that his righteousness is perfectly holy? Perfect. Do you have faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is perfect, the second member of the Trinity, without beginning or end, that when he promises a reward, that he will give that reward? Because he is righteous. This is part of his nature. Just like he is light, just like he is love, he is perfectly righteous. So righteousness says that if he would offer you and promise you $100, that Jesus will give you $100 because he is righteousness. It's his character. He's perfect. He wouldn't promise you $100 then give you 65, right? That's what the government does, right? No laughter, right? Thank you, right? This, but he is perfectly righteous, there is no error within him. So when he thinks about things, when he says things, when he, when he processes things, every motive of his being is perfect. There is no error within Christ. There is no error within him. So if we know his righteousness, if we know he is returning, if we would be, we would be the fool, we'd be the fool not to abide in him, wouldn't we? We would be the fool. 
we would practice righteousness, would we not, in surrender to him who is perfect, and we would do it with joy. Look at our workplace, at the grocery store, at the coffee shop, wherever we would go, we were called to abide in him. And that's what the Bible says, right? Colossians 3.23 is a great verse. Whatever you do, do it as, as if you're doing it for the Lord. Romans 12.1, live your, bo- your body as a living sacrifice for him to all about Jesus. It's not about us. See, we practice righteousness not to be saved. You practice righteousness because you are saved. You don't practice righteousness to be saved. You practice righteousness because you are saved, because Jesus is who he says he is. And again, just to slow down and go a little reflection on our own lives, how are we doing? Are we remembering the holiness of Jesus? Like, I can't shame anyone here. I can't guilt you. And that's not what I want to do ever. I just want to be a good shepherd and ask these questions of you and of myself. How are we doing in this? John is clear in this. This is a clear instruction. Little children abide in him. He's coming back. Are we practicing righteousness? We're just reading the Bible together. Let's take a look at the next verse, breaking into chapter 3 here. Just the first part of it. The heading for this verse could be eternal perspective. This is such good news. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This one little verse has three action points, consideration, bewilderment, and assurance. You can see it there on the screen how it's broken up. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what, like John is going, consider what kind of love the Father has for you. That we should be called children of God? This is bewilderment. Really? Do we fully get this? Do we fully grasp this? God in all of his holiness is calling us children? And so we are. There's your assurance. Consider bewilderment and assurance consideration. John is calling us to see, to see and consider the Father's love for us. The Father's love has extended to give of his Son. There couldn't be a greater gift here. And the more you think about it, the harder it is to fully comprehend. Like, like just sit and think about this concept for, for a long, like a long period of time. Just, just reflect on this. Like, God gave of his Son. And we can't, we'll get to the point where we can't fully grasp this because there are times in our moments, aren't we parents, that we would gladly sacrifice one of our kids for someone else, right? (laughs) Like happily, yes, take my child, absolutely. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are perfectly united unlike you and your child. For the Father to give of that union would be heartbreaking, but at the same time reveals his amazing character and himself as love. Like contemplate this concept. Consider it, John says. It's, it's enormous that Jesus, that G- God gave Jesus his son to come for me. 
And then the bewilderment of that we should be called children. Not just die for me, but die for me and then like say, you're adopted. You're now my family. It's like, what? What? Like the adoption of us into the family of God is bewildering. Jesus came to us while we were enemies, weak, and sinners and go, I will adopt you. I'll adopt you. You are my family now. Weak, enemy, sinner, according to Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10. See, it is by the grace of God we are saved. And the assurance, and so we are. See, when God proclaims us to be his kids, there is nothing at that point that could take that away in heaven or here on earth. We are grafted into the vine and nothing can take us, nothing can remove us from his hand. And verse 1 continues by saying, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And this is the world, right? We've talked about a couple weeks ago, the the system of the world, the, the depraved ones that have not seen the holiness of God yet. They've not been revealed. Their hearts have not been transformed by his loving hand in that moment. And they're still depraved. They're still desiring the eyes and the desires of the flesh and the pride of life is ruling their hearts and their kingdoms. And we are children because he chose us, lived for us, died for us and rose again. And now as children we abide in Jesus, practice righteousness, know of his returning and act accordingly. And of course, the world will think this is foolishness. To put aside your kingdom for the sake of God's, it's foolishness. See, the setting aside of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life, my kingdom for the sake of God's kingdom, again, it does not make sense to this world. To put aside the things that you really desire in your flesh, to set that aside, to put that off so that you might put on the spirit. Doesn't make sense. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. It does not recognize that Jesus came to pay for our penalty of sin. It does not recognize that Jesus came to live perfectly for us and die on the cross for our sin, the penalty, and rise again, giving us an eternal hope for those who believe and confess him. See, again, it's all about him. For his glory, not for ours. Let's take a look at the last two verses, and then we'll close with some songs. It says this, beloved. See, this word beloved is a really sweet word. Beloved basically in the translation means that this is the one I love more than anything. So John is going to the church, I love you more than anything. There's a deep bond between brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes and oftentimes greater than blood itself, like a brother or a sister or a family member, because you are eternal ones. And John is saying, beloved, Beloved, we are God's children now. Those who abide in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection practice righteousness, await his return with hope and joy, are adopted into his family. We're children now. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. 
we'll be like Jesus, redeemed, restored, and glorified because of his work accomplished for us on the cross and out of the grave. We're going to see Jesus in all of his holiness, and it's going to be sweet. And then in verse 3 it says, And everyone, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, this last verse is one of the greatest in this section. It is, it is your assurance and an invitation at the same verse. If you hope in Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you too can, can and will be saved and adopted into the family of God. If you trust in him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, if you believe and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You are entered into the family of God. And now going back to verse 28 of chapter 2, little children, let's abide in him. His work is accomplished. Our work is still on the mission of the church to be fruitful and multiply, to live the way God has called us to live for his name's sake and his glory. The comfort of the gospel is accomplished. Now the call of the gospel is before us as the church to go and live accordingly, to live as a living sacrifice for him. Whatever we do, we do it for the Lord now. Resting in him, remaining in him, relying on him, all that he has done for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your amazing invitation. Your amazing invitation that everyone who thus hopes in you will purify himself and he is pure. I thank you for offering us salvation. I thank you for your amazing gift. I thank you that you have been from the beginning, that you are eternally past, eternally future, and that you are present with us here today. Jesus, you are so good. Please reveal yourself more and more to who you are and who you have called us to be and what our purpose might be now to live on this earth to glorify your name. Help us, Jesus, in whatever we do, bring you glory. Help us abide in you. Help us rest in you. Help us remain in you and help us rely on you. Help us have an everlasting, eternal perspective knowing that you are coming again one day. We know the story. We know the end result that you are coming for your church. And so, Jesus, help us for those that are hearing this message. Lord, please convict them now that they might repent of their sin and come to a saving faith in you and confess you as Lord of their life. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.